Hello, you're listening to Social Science Talk Science Fiction, a podcast where social scientists, philosophers, researchers and theorists discuss the themes and works of science fiction. This podcast is recorded in the basement of the International Politics Building at Aberystwyth University and is available free under a Creative Commons license. We hope you enjoy the programme. Neuromancer by William Gibson is considered one of the foundational works of cyberpunk. Published in 1984, the novel follows the activities of the hacker, Case, and his associates, who are drawn into working for a shell company run by a rogue AI. When discussing the book, Jerry Holkins of Penny Arcade claimed that this is a book that travelled back in time of its own accord, a book written for people in the future in their own goddamn language. I'm your host, Alex Hoseason, PhD student in international politics and the first failure of the Turing test. I'm Matthew Campbell. I'm a PhD student in global health security and I'm a proud member of Ravenclaw. I'm Matthew Curtis. I am some guy who they found on the street and decided to talk on this show. And I am Andres Ramag. I am also a PhD student in international politics and my wedding music was the theme of Superman, of which I am very proud of. Okay, great. And I, so I, th- I think, I mean, the, the way to begin. Um, so today's question is something like, um, what is it like to read Neuromancer today? Bearing in mind we're all probably too young to have read it the first time round. Andre, I mean, you you read it before all of us, I guess. I mean, what was it like going? What was it like going through it again? Uh, well, I've, I've read it quite quite a few years ago uh, for, for the first time. Um, Mainly, mainly because I, well, I came across some some mentions to it in connection with playing Deus Ex, actually, <laughs> um, and um, and I've I've read it again recently, and then I I've browsed at it for for the purpose of uh, of the podcast, and um, well, what, what what strikes me the most, and what I always try to 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 think back is that when 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 you're reading this this book, it's it's very important to to know the context within which it came out, right, and actually to to read it from from that perspective, um, and be very aware of how accomplished the book is, actually, in, in, considering that at the time in which it came out, it was quite revolutionary. It was at a period in which the, you had actually no no internet, at least in the in the way that we, we know it nowadays. And um, it was extremely revolutionary in that sense. Uh, but going back to it now, it, it's actually a lot more eye-opening than it was when I first read it quite a few years ago. Um well, especially considering the whole, um, well, nowadays I, I read it basically as, as a, a narrative of alienation, basically. And, um, a, a narrative that captures the, the, the utter feeling of alienation that would be prevalent in a highly technological society in which the hopes about technological development actually translate themselves into, uh, new forms of oppression and loss of meaning. Um, so, so to me, it is very much uh, that kind of narrative. So that kind of narrative in which um, any hope for the creation of meaning lies not not anymore with human beings, probably, but if at all, in in their own creations. Um, and so their own creations actually become the subject of the story. Hence the 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 whole um, the whole role of of the AI in the story. Actually, that is the subject of the story. So the whole story is the story of the AI becoming the subject, uh, while the human beings are basically the the objects of of the AI itself and are used uh, for its own self-realization. Um, so, so I read it very much like like 
a story of exactly that. Um, I don't know what what is your your opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean one of, one of the things we kind of or Matt and I like, um, or Matthew and I. Sorry, two Matt. Um, were were like discussing the other night was um, whether the plot is actually the point, right? I would raise that the plot is the point, but not in the way that people are people look at it because well, if the plot the the narrative. Narrative ex- itself is fairly formulaic and straightforward, and things happen in a blur. But this is because it's told from the point of view of Case. Um, and in Neuromancer, there exists three worlds, as I said: the world of the meat, the world of the body, uh, the world of the Matrix, with, um, and the world of the Neuromancer, where the dead roam. So the world of the meat is populated by the Razor Girls and the um, the Rastafarians, pretty much. They're the masters of the body. They are completely at home in their bodies. They don't want anything to do with the Matrix. They don't want anything to do with decking, any of that. And then the, cow- the, the deck cowboys, are they exist primarily on the Matrix. They see themselves as either freed or disparate and distinct from, at least Case does, to meet the flesh, so he doesn't he doesn't perceive information like a normal person would, because he's used to this high traffic, high speed way of thinking uh, and observing the world. Um, like he comments it, he comments on it quite a lot at the start. He, the only reason he's in substance addiction in the first place, which is quite a big point in the story, is because he can't deck anymore, which yes. is mm-hmm. um, he has to he has to indulge the meat to indulge his mind. And then the third level, which is what the neuromancer and the eyes exist on, um, is is not exactly transcended, but it's another it's another step of integration into it, because there are human minds operating inside it, uh, and it's what Case turns away from, um, not mainly because of his manipulation, I think. But that's a different point entirely. All right. But what's interesting about these three things is that. They're all setting, and they're not plot, right? Yeah, definitely. So yes. the, the the setting exists to tell us about humanity and tells us about technology. Yeah, the, the, the the plot, however, is essentially irrelevant to the book as we know it. And certainly, if we're looking at oh, Neuromancer is a really important book, this has nothing to do with the storyline. This no. has everything to do with the setting. The the, the story the storyline is pretty, like I said, is pretty much paid by numbers. But you're not in it. You're not in it for this. Isn't a book you read for the story. It's a beat you. It's a, it's a book you read for the incredibly intensive and evocative images of the society they live in, of their world, and of the characters themselves. Because the characters themselves are incredibly are incredibly couple, well read, well um, well developed people. They are. You feel like they they all have their own motivations, their own thoughts. You um, and when they like they actually are in peril like it got my heart going at the end because I was just like how what what's going to be the end game of this and it's actually quite a quite anticlimax in some ways but in another way it, oh no I, I i think i mean it was an anticlimax right and and, and i think yeah. that like just for the sake of comparison right i mean i think in terms of books snow crash which is the other uh, famous kind of cyberpunk novel of, mm-hmm. of this kind of period that story was terrible yeah Right, Deus Ex had amazingly schlocky writing. Oh, yeah. Right, I mean, the the right, 
I wanted orange. They gave me a lemon lime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Matthew, you were thinking of it in terms of of a, of a kind of detective story. I mean, do you, do you think that that do you think that that's the case for detective stories as well? I mean, well, do you, do you get this when you're reading The Big Sleep or? Well, I mean, yeah. The, there's clearly a lot of influence from very specifically the works of Raymond Chandler, right down to the point where Armitage feels very much like General Sternwood. Uh, he's this crippled military guy, but. There is a parallel whereby nobody reads Raymond Chandler for the plot. The mysteries are interesting, and you want to work them out in a Jonathan Creek, how quickly can I work out what's going on sense. But you read Chandler for the prose, and how deliciously he uh, describes a setting we're roughly familiar with. We're all reasonably okay with Dizzy Dames and Gumshoes and Tommy Guns. Neuromance is interesting because while it's doing very much the same thing, it's a setting which is, in, of course, in many ways very unfamiliar to us. Well, I, I think, I mean, coming back to kind of what, what it is to read it today, I, I read it for the first time for this podcast, or I've, I've read it many years ago to the point where I can't remember it. Um, and you read those kind of first lines, right? Um, the sky was the color of television tuned to a dead channel. Yeah. You could basically stop reading the book at that point, <laughs> right? I mean, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what you're going to get for the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I think the, and, but I mean, that's, that's obviously the thing, right? I mean, I, I read those lines and all of a sudden, all those references to all the sci-fi that I grew up reading and, and watching and playing. It all right? clicks together. It all clicks together. And, and, and the, the reason, I, I think it's probably the, like one of the greatest opening lines of science fiction, but the reason isn't because it's beautifully written, even though it yeah, is. The reason it's, is it, it, it's, it's a complete it's, touchstone. It's, yeah, it's, I also think his writing is beautiful in, in its simplicity. There's none, there's not really, whilst he does go on for quite a while, there's no, there's not really these great sprawling sentences of, uh, weird, strange terminologies that people aren't going to get. It's all very simply and nicely put. Um, like, you can, even if things are, if things are based in like a scientific concept, it's, it's all done in a way that the average Joe could just extrapolate on. Like, the decks, they're just keyboards, pretty much. And most people know what a keyboard is. Um, the All of the implants and stuff are all done in a very organic way, like um, Molly's claws. They're just knives under her fingers. People understand that. even, if, And he doesn't need to go into the whole, this is how it works. Kind of yeah, thing. I, I, I think that, I mean... There's also quite a lot left out in quite a nice way. I mean, Ma- Matthew and I spent quite a lot of time trying to figure out what Molly's ethnicity was the other oh, night yeah. because it, it it doesn't say yeah, really. I, I mean, it's kind of implied. But I, I always thought I always thought she was Caucasian. Honestly, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, this relates in part to Molly as a classic femme fatale. Um, the writer Karen Alda has said that femme fatales do two things: one, they combine sex and danger, mm. and Molly absolutely does that. And oh, again, yeah. this is a reference to detective fiction. But the second feature is whether or not. The femme fatale needs to be somehow alien or foreign. Now, even if Molly is Caucasian, uh, her eyes, her voice, her hands, all of these things are alien to Case as a character. So I'd say Molly absolutely qualifies as foreign in that sense, yeah, she, even she if she's is, not literally foreign. She is, um, like I said, she is a breed apart from like Case, because, like I said, she. Well, my point is that she exists in the world of flesh, and she indulges, indulges in it. Um, it's the same way that. The Rastafarians who live on the space station—they are completely—they're they're a world apart as well. They don't get each other. They state it. Um, Case just says, "I don't get you guys," and she says, "Right back." Well, we don't get you either. We don't understand you. You don't understand us. 
they are just to, to the point where they have yeah. different names for each other. Yeah, right? they they, they um, but they still work together in an incredibly quite a personal way. They just they just kind of say they just say yeah we don't we don't need to understand each other really. We well, just kind of move on. I mean to get to I mean to focus on the characters for a little bit. I mean, Andre, you were mentioning this. I when we were talking about it, I I think that the characters all have very predefined arcs, right? I mean, you can already, in some sense, see what's going to happen, and and in 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 some ways, actually, I would I would argue against um, against what you were saying saying about alienation because I I I think a lot of these characters kind of exist to do a certain form of work, um, and and that's kind of all all that they do, and 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 the the book basically charts the the kind of logical end or that progression and then the logical endpoint of them doing that kind of thing. I mean, how do you see that? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was talking about alienation, right? In the sense that um, they work to fulfill a function. Uh, I mean, in, in, in terms of the, 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 the plot even, uh, at least as far as I've, as, I've, as I've got it, each of them pretty much work to fulfill a function and that function ultimately falls into this major plot that uh, that neuromancer is creating in order to 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 become it is coming into being um the ai and uh, all of the human characters are basically being used by this uh, major subject which is uh, emerging out of the historical process and uh, the human beings themselves are just the means to achieve that um so i i see them as fulfilling and they are objectified by the ai who in the in the end it calls itself a, a true personality and um as as to, to what matt was saying about the, the different world worlds with the with the rastafari and so on well I, I absolutely agree with you on on the sense of the of there being these different worlds but um i see it very much as a, a novel which refers to a world in which People are finding it. People don't know their places, and their places are basically reduced to their social functions in this sense. And they're scrabbling to find some sort of meaning and to find some sort of place. And so the Rastafaris and so on actually, um, by not wanting to deal with technology in that sense, actually show an attempt to find that meaning by reverting back to some conception of more organic type of uh, way of life. Um, while uh, the, the hackers on, on their part actually refer to a way of trying to find meaning through the internet and, and through, through, the, through, the, the, through their activities in, in the cyberspace. But um, actually, w- once you have, at the end of the book, once um, the, AI bec- the AI becomes fully conscious, then you actually have a proper subject, a proper subject which is capable not of living according to the niche uh, which is created socially, but of living according to its own um, self-established way. Uh, in in the sense, this is extremely interesting because it is actually one of the first mo- novels, as far as I know, to deal with the idea of singularity and with the idea that at a certain point in human development, it is the things that people do who start being the predominant, uh, pre- that the things that people create that start being the predominant force in history and not human beings themselves. Um, which is pretty much the same type of topic that you would find in 2001 Space Odyssey, for example. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, what, what is your opinion? Uh, I, I, I actually agree with that a lot. Like, there's, there's an, uh, uh, an author called Neil Asher. He writes very hard, he writes hardcore science fiction 
in a utopian dystopia. It's a very strange world, but it's a very compelling world, where AIs run everything. The technological singularity happened, and they decided to take us along for the ride because they didn't want to be nasty. That was their reasoning. They just didn't... They just, they just thought it wouldn't be very nice to kill us all. I wonder if... And this comes down to what sci-fi is as a genre. I wonder if we accept, and I'm happy to, that the idea of the singularity is when the creations in the story become more important than humans. Yeah. Um, the original sci-fi novel, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, is a novel about a singularity, where the creation, which is far more famous than the Doctor is the centre of the novel, and the humans are not. Yeah. Well, now, is that is that a fair interpretation of your argument, Andre? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's an excellent point on your part. And that, that's what I was trying to get at when I was mentioning alienation, exactly in this sense of the things that you do start predominating over you, and they themselves become the subject, and you become their object. Like, yeah. the markets are the subject nowadays, and we are all the objects. Um, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, exactly. I would totally agree with you. So, so well, yeah, but I would agree actually that that is very much at the core of the feeling of uh, science fiction in general. Actually, yeah, that, that's a good point. Back to Ashley, just because I like it. But um, the 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 way the AIs deal with the, with humans because AIs are functionally just better than humans. They can change forms at will. They make the humans feel useful by assigning them tasks and going slower for the humans. Like, and this, this is actually, this, um, that world is actually something I can see evolving from um, Neuromancer. Because, really? Yes. The way that uh, the Neuromancer um, invites, he just invites Cage along. Like, uh, Cage, Case. He, 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 while Case is dying, he just, he just says, look, you can just come along Live here, live in live 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 in this nice little bit we made for you. It's like we didn't we didn't have to do it. They could have just killed him, but they decided to invite him to another plane of existence so he could continue on living and existing. But I I, I think in some ways I mean that's kind of a stage beyond most of the book, right? Most of Neuromancer. Um, I mean because if, I mean Neuromancer turns up. Only towards the end, really. He's he's the magic. He's the magical mystic MacGuffin man. Is what he is. He's. he's I think he's more than that. But well, um, he's this. He's he's actually the central driving force of the novel. He's what is being sought to be attained by Wintermute. Um And the way the the way he doesn't re- he because the way Wintermute is described is he is the go getter. He is the the make. He is what make things. He's the one who makes things tick. Um, whereas Neuromancer is very is the artiste. He is not getting involved. He is a, he is the outside observer, and he into, and then he invites people into his observation. Well, I think I, I mean I think it's an important point to make at the moment that we've got no way of verifying that Andre is not an AI, right? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> We've got no way of verifying that you're not an AI at this point. No, you're no, no. <laughs> it's extremely Clearly likely. On a cybernetic level, he's not. <laughs> yeah. okay. Not a very complex one, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think we're comparing Wintermute and Neuromancer. The point stands that very very crudely on a surface level, Wintermute is all rationality. Yeah. And Neuromancer is all emotion or all feeling. That's the world he creates, and so. 
what are we to make of Gibson's decision that this this change in the world, this plot should be revolved by the merging of the emotional and the rational? Oh, it's it's. I think it's done as a potential. It's it's deliberately left like that. So it doesn't tell us what happens because it's left to grow in the reader's mind. Because everything in the story is designed just to evoke things from the reader. Like, the characters don't actually matter in and of themselves. The plot doesn't actually matter. It's all just supposed to raise a question in the reader. I, I, I think, that, I mean, there's a, there's a really interesting question here, right? And, and, and that is, like, I, th- I think he actually does hint towards what happens afterwards, right? And, and, and what he does afterwards, the, the hybrid AI that we still don't know what to call, right? Mm. The Wintermancer. Or Neuromute. Or Neuromute. Um, you know, I, that one big he, guy who's at the top of over there. Right. Well, he, he doesn't actually do anything, right? I mean, in the, in the end of the book, Case asks him how things are, and he just says things are things, right? Yeah. And, and, and actually he goes further than that and does the, the classic science fiction mm-hmm. trick, right? Of solving a problem somewhere and then going to find new ones somewhere else. Yeah. By talking to other AIs in space instead. He's talking to alien AIs now. Which is, you know, He's decided to go beyond us. Yeah, so I, I, I think that, um, you know, we, we do have a hint of that. But, I mean, just, to, like, just to bring it back to kind of, rather than speculating beyond the book mm-hmm. for a minute, I mean, the I, I think there's a fair argument to say that most of the characters, or there, there, there's a, a large degree of characters, uh, sorry, a large amount of characters in the book who aren't actually characters, right? Uh, yeah, it's fair to say that. Well, the, the one uh, that sticks out is Molly. She exists to be a sex fantasy for the male protagonist. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, she's, it comes back to femtile. There are other terms you can use to describe her, but she exists partly because we as the audience presume to be male. She's there to be a sex fantasy. And... Uh, I didn't, I didn't really see that as such. Um, because I agree, I agree that it, it could be, she could be, she's, she's fetishized. Like, that is, that is a definite. But I think she's fetishized in the way that all the characters are, because for, for one thing, she's she's for, she exists in a certain subculture, the Razor Girls. They are a, they are an established thing in the world, but they don't exist outside of the one character. No, but they, they, don't, they don't, and that's the character the main protagonist has sex with. They, so they, I don't they see. don't need to exist outside of that, though. I think because the, it's the, it's desi- the neuromancer as a model, as as a model as a book is designed to focus on the central group of characters rather than this grand expanse. It's why all of these, this is a bit, what happened, the actual, what happens in Neuromancer is actually a massive world-shaking event, but we ne- we don't see the context of it. We All we see is how these characters go through and deal with each situation and how they see the world around them. But then we don't see how, um, how this affects the stock prices of the megacorps. Tyson Ashbrook. Yeah. We don't we don't see how this how the media deals with it. We don't see how the street gangs deal with it. We just see through Case's eyes. I, th- I, th- I think yeah, I, I think you do to an extent. But I, I think there's kind of one of the strange things is I mean yeah, actually it, it perhaps is Case's eyes. I mean one of the one of the things I was thinking about and Andre will know this from uh, there's a um, philosopher uh, the late Rick Roderick, who was a great public educator, but his argument, um, he, he made, um, a great argument about Blade Runner and the scene where the, uh, replicant puts a nail through his hand. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, um, and, and his argument about that, and I, I think it's, it, it pertains very well to this book, is that the replicant wasn't doing that to feel pain. He was doing that to feel anything. Yeah. And which I find an absolutely fascinating thing. And I, I, I think that it, the, one of the weird things is that, especially with Case and, and, and a few of the other characters, but I mean, the only point at which he's described in prose which might make him seem alive is, is when he's high, right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and, and higher in the Matrix, so to say. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like, the combination of yeah, both. Or, or, or he's happy. He's only actually seen as happy in like a couple points in the story. Um, the rest of the time, he's fucking miserable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, but even, even when he's having sex, right? I mean, the, the sex is describing it in quite mechanical terms. Yeah. And Molly stops him touching her optics, which kills any intimacy. But I think this is partly a result of the way Gibson deliberately writes in that the real humans that are described with fake words. So Molly refers to herself being wired a particular way, or uh, in Burning Chrome, a character is said to have a robotic like movements. Whereas the fiction, the non-existent characters, the Dixie Flatline, Winter Mutant, Neuromancer, and the Matrix itself, they're described with organic words. Uh, often weather patterns are invoked to describe how the Matrix is moving. Yeah. So if the characters don't seem alive, I think that's a reflection of the fact that Gibson's deliberately playing with the distinction between what's real and what's unreal. It's the, dis- it's dis- it's the disassociation of the characters and the world. Uh, yeah. Because um, that. That it is, it's a, it's as I'm putting in the novel, all the characters want to feel alive in some way. So, if the novel's about change and all the characters want to feel alive, what do we make of the Dixie Flatline? Um, he I mean, hates his existence. Is quite he's funny. my favourite character. Yeah. He's great. I think that. Um, I also really like Winter Mutants, how such a bastard he well, is. I mean, uh, this comes back to Andre's point about the pitch in on. The Dixie exists purely to function now, right? He doesn't exist beyond the job of hacking which the flatline circuitry makes him do. And does this make him the least human in least human character in the novel? And is this why the Dixie flatline wants to die? Yeah, to some to some point, yeah, I, I, I agree. But it's also the whole argument of fulfilling a purpose, fulfilling a role, having a function, kind of comes back to human nature. We're always like looking for what we want to do, aren't we? We're always looking for something to do for something to make us feel fulfilled. Um, and the, mecha- the mechanization of that in the way with the, with the Dixie, the Dixie Flatline, is probably... It, he doesn't have a choice. He has, to, he has to do it. It's what he was good at, but he doesn't feel, He doesn't know if he feels anything because he doesn't need to as part of the programme. Well, I, th- I think one of the main points, and, and I mean this all ties, ties back to what we were saying about character trajectories, right? All, all of the characters, or a lot of them anyway, have a, have a certain... Trajectory which culminates in them ostensibly feeling something, right? Um, Ar- Armitage, Armitage pushes himself so far that he effectively breaks down what he is, and when he has to confront what he is, he dies, right? Um, Dixie existing purely for the the great heist, right, or the great hack, or you know whatever crime allegory you want to put on it, dies. As he's confronted with the, the the greatest hack he ever performed, and it's I, I, ironically he gets to the point where even death doesn't matter. He dies three times, right? Um, and it's only when he has that final, you know, he's riding that amazing military intrusion countermeasure or whatever, um, you know, into the server that that he that he actually dies. Wintermute 
and there's a lot to say about this, but Wintermute funda- fundamentally cannot understand what it is no. he's compelled he towards. Functionally and fundamentally can't. He can't understand people, he can't understand his purpose, but what he does understand is he's, he's, he's going from here to here, that's his destination, and he's going to achieve that, he's going to use whatever he can. But this, this is the case with all the characters, in that there's, there's no idea of rational choice or free will. Wintermute is driven to do something he doesn't understand. Dixie Flatline has no choice. Case will be once again crippled if he doesn't do what he says. Molly offers no explanation for what she does. She says, quote, it's the way I'm wired, which isn't an explanation. And Armitage is a literal construct. I mean, yeah. this applies to all the characters, and surely the author's saying something about that. Well, yeah. I, think, I think actually the one exception, I, I, I wanted to ask you about this, Andre, because it's kind of an interesting point, bearing in mind what, you, what you're kind of putting across as the grand kind of scope of the novel. Um, the uh, Three Jane, you know, the Tessier Ashpool family. Hmm. The, the 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 weird thing about that is is despite the fact that they're perceived at the top of the hierarchy, right? I mean, they're the they're the bourgeoisie in the story, right? Um, they they ostensibly have the most choice, but they're also the form of life that's getting left behind. Yeah. Do you, do you think they're? I mean, do you, do you think they're kind of that? That's the kind of choice, choice at that point is superseded. I don't, I don't, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they are the ones who have the most choice, actually. No? Uh, no, I would say that if, if anything, they're the ones who are most dependent on, on the very, um, on the very things that they create. I mean, uh, even, even the Rastafari, since they're not, uh, financially caught, they can go back to the body and go back to live a more organic life and, 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 um, and cut ties, so to speak. Uh, while while Jane and the the so the the capitalists of the story actually, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they're caught in the very system that feeds them. Uh, they would cease to be who they are if they are not. So so their their choice is actually very arbitrary, and it can be choice over individuals, but over individuals in the sense that they can um, rule over others, but uh, not over themselves or their life's conditions. So, so I would, I would say that they're actually the, the I mean, the, I would say that they're an expression of exactly the type of system that leads people to become objects instead of subjects, in the sense that uh, they are apparently the most free of them all, but actually they're not. They're, they're actually a, a life form which has necessarily to be superseded by their own creation. Um, yeah. I was thinking about what you were saying, Alex, earlier, and what you were talking about the characters and so on. And I, I don't know what what your guys' take is on this, but I, I always felt that there's a certain feeling of stagnation to the whole book. Oh no, absolutely. Oh, yes. Think, yeah. think, things feel stuck, right? It's sticky. <laughs> yeah, it's a standard slope one thing now. What now it is, but yeah, it's it's everything. Everything is tepid. There's there's no there's the everything. There's no development. AIs aren't allowed to grow. They have a metaphorical shotgun to the head if they try to. Um, the bourgeoisie, they are controlled by completely by their lawyers, pretty much. It's stated in the book. Their lawyers, their law firm needs to know who's awake at any given time, when they're going to be awake, and when they're going next to sleep. That as the ruling class, they don't actually matter that much, apart from making appearances. Um, the way that Free Jane um, reacts to Molly is incredibly indicative, indicative of this because this is the first chapter, like choice she's pretty much been given in that she, she's only been able to work from the sidelines well, to, for one thing, to corrupt her father's mind and to basically play around with people's lives 
is the only way she can escape what she is. As in, uh, just a, another clone, another, another, <coughs> another product of this company, of this conglomeration. Um, yeah. But I think, I think, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, Andre. I, I think what I was, I mean, referring to was kind of, they have the physical means, right? Yes. They have the yes. money and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and they, so they kind of end up in this, well, I guess in your sense, a kind of classical historical, com- uh, like contradiction, right? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. They're, they're trapped. And, and, I, I think one of the one of the interesting things, particularly when they're going through the uh, I've forgotten what it's called, but the the Tessierashpool kind of compound. Yeah. Oh, the oh, I suppose the, the great the great big tree thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the language changed, and 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 you you get this throughout the book. So I mean, because you see it either from Case's point of view or Molly's point of view when Case is using the um, SimStim unit, right? So he sees through her eyes, uh-huh. and and. He gets annoyed when she doesn't look at things that he wants to look at, which normally computers. Um, but some of the some of the things that are described, particularly in the in the in the Ashpool compound, are things like a kind of beautifully carved wooden door that's just cut in half to fit. <laughs> you know, so you get you get all these kind of artifacts of a history that's never really mentioned, uh-huh. um, and, and and those become the kind of points at which the world is kind of our world. Or kind of maybe used to be our world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the the time frame of the book I don't think is ever mentioned, is it? Oh uh, no, it's it's some point in the future, and they have laser guns and spaceships. Uh, yeah. This is actually one of the novel's secret weapons. Is yeah. the complete lack of a date or detailed technology has stopped it dating. Yeah, it's like we were saying. Uh, we were saying earlier that it, it just you could it applies to any um, to any time period because the the issues and the, the are reflected, it can be reflected in pretty much any society, or, or any human society. Um, and because it, it leaves out, it's, whilst, the aesthetic, whilst the aesthetic is very 80s, with all its, all its neon, all of its PVC and leather, and its mirrors, the actual content is incredibly universal. Right, so the, the other point is that, like most sci-fi, it's in some way reflecting the problems of a certain time. And this clearly comes out in, in urban crime or poverty or Gibson's writing in the context of crippled Vietnam vets who aren't getting the support they need and this is reflected in Armitage. But sci-fi's other point is to talk about the future, obviously. And so what is Gibson saying about the future? Is is it a warning? Is it optimistic? I I I think it's bait. I think it's cautiously optimistic. In at the end at least. Because throughout the book it's doom and gloom pretty much and then at the end um, the singularity happens and then nothing really happens because uh, winter the, the winter knot as I'm going to now call him um, just he goes off he just decides to leave humans like he leaves humans to his own devices um, but the central characters I'm so, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I mean I don't I don't want to to do what we were doing earlier of of speculating beyond the novel. But would you say that at the end nothing happens? Because in in my view, I would say that going back to what we were talking we were talking about the stagnation of the novel. I would say that at the end things finally start happening again. Again, in in the sense that um, Neuromancer finds out about this AI in Alpha Centauri and decides to contact with it, and so. 
moves on moves on in the sense that uh, human humans at this stage are stagnated right i mean they're they're they're, they're not clearly doing space exploration they have a couple of uh, space stations and so on um but, but there's nothing grand right there, there's nothing uh, there, there's no species role or species mission or anything like that and neuromancer actually picks up on that and uh um, gets rid of all the baggage that accumulated throughout history in human beings. So gets rid of the bourgeoisie and all of and all of that, and actually can start doing something. I, I, at least that's how I that's how I read it. I, I don't know what you guys think. Well, I, I think in some respects it's to take that view. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not sure that optimism's got anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, really. I, I think in some respects that's kind of giving too much back to the plot. It's neither optimistic or pessimistic. It's, uh... I, I, I think, you know, when when the the hybrid AI at the end says things are things, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that we we finish the book still or, or, or with some kind of general hint as to who the hero was, right? And and, and, and the actual answer is that there wasn't one and, and stuff happened. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think I, I mean I think it's interesting if we if we just say that you know we're seeing these events through through those characters' eyes you know I, I think that kind of gives too much to it in the sense that it's because we see it through those characters' eyes that they're events when I'm not actually sure they were yes yes um, I mean I I don't know I, I I haven't read the rest of them Matty have you read them no you haven't read the rest of them. What the the other books? Yeah, I, I started reading them, but um, except for that very first line in Neuromancer, I really hate the way that he writes. So, so I started reading Mona Lisa Drive, but um, I dropped it because it was very uh, very dense in the way that it was written and so on. So um, he doesn't he doesn't write much, but it's so just dense and obtuse in certain ways. That it, it kind of it can it is quite a barrier to entry at some points. I, I did find catch myself reading a line over and over again, just trying to get my head around it. So yeah. a couple of times. To slightly change the topic as we come towards the end of time slowly is one thing I want to bring up is what on earth is the shuriken about? The, oh, shur- the shuriken is it's is, really cool. Up. The shuriken is Chekhov's gun of the yeah. novel, right? He sees one and then he sees it again and then he gets bored for him and he repeatedly feels it in his pocket. And you're thinking Chekhov's gun style that at some point he's going to lob it into someone's it's... esophagus. And then at the end, it, it comes along and he throws it at the TV screen. And the TV screen wakes up. Mm. Now, I can't help but think that this means something, that it's, I can't see what it is. I think it's... Case never uses a weapon. Ever. He uses it once, in a simulation, to get himself out of the simulation. Other than that, he never uses a weapon. He... he bought, when he bought the Cobra, the whip, well, I thought he, he just... He got that, and then he threw it away. It was completely pointless. He didn't even use it. Um... The, the gun he, he got, he got taken off him, and he just got, gave the bullets back and got a refund. It's just, th- throughout the entire story, he's, I'm not going to say a coward, but it's not really his thing. He's not, he's not a violent person. He's definitely a coward. Yeah, oh. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, he, he's, con- oh, he's a little bit of a coward. A little bit of a coward, but um, he, he, ne- he never chooses to use a weapon and when he uses the shuriken the shuriken is like a constant reminder of that because he first sees the shuriken when he's in, when he thinks he's in mortal peril when he thinks he's going to get his ass slaughtered by holly holly molly um 
And it, it comes back to remind him later because of it's giving him the option of using violence. So at the end, he could have just chucked the the, the shuriken into um, uh, what's his face guy who's sick. I can't remember his name. So Vieira. Vieira. Yeah, he could have just he just, he just, he just pew, shuriken in, right into his face, but he didn't. He chose to talk out, and the throwing of the shuriken into the TV at the end um, kind of signifies that he just he, that's his outright rejection of it. It's just like. But do, you, do you think it's a statement of? where he exists um, because I, I, I think that it, it depends you can see this two ways right either he's throwing the shuriken as an action yeah right he's throwing the shuriken as a declaration a conscious or he's yeah. throwing the shuriken as a rejection yeah right it could you I could could look at it both ways it could easily be argued both ways it could be like argued as a declaration that he is now willing to uh, willing to use violence or he has moved he's, he's just said I have moved on from this I no longer need it, or a reject. As it, but, but that would be the rejection. Sorry. Well, I think I, th- I think I mean one of the one of the kind of things of the story is that the, the characters have very clear ideas of what are and what aren't the right tools for them to be using. Yeah. You know, M- M- Molly knows that. She's not know, a techie. She, yeah. You know, she's not a, she's not a techie. You know, and and I I think she's, and and you know when it refers to kind of the. The tech that she's carrying around with her, like the Simstim unit, she's always a bit uncomfortable with it, right? And it, it mentions that several times. And I think that you know, Winter, Wintermute does the same thing, right? He 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 knows that he uses particular dimensions of people, right? And I I think one of one of the things I I, I find really interesting was when he um, Case was being urged to not try and think like Wintermute because you can't. Mm. It's it's fundamentally different to you, and 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 then you know shortly afterwards or or shortly before you have um, Wintermute manipulating this kid right, and he, he kills the kid to to hide the key. So I mean, is Wintermute just the kind of archetypal and obvious example of the story of someone that doesn't have choice and is just following his program? Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think so. He's he is just the he's the driving force. Without him, nothing would have happened, pretty much. And it would continue out to have not happened throughout the novel. Because he's the one, he's the one who, in, who, in, who for one thing, extracts Armitage and indicts him to put this, to, these toxins in Case's blood. He's pre- presumably the one who pays Molly a lot of money, because I'm, I'm assuming that's probably just her, her motivation. Do you, do, but, I mean, Matthew, you were saying... I mean, one of, one of the interesting things is we assume that Wintermute's behind the novel, but at the end it's revealed that actually Neuromance has been doing a fair bit of his own manipulation. Yeah. You know, I mean, is is that kind of... If we consider the novel as a plot, right? I mean, as much of it was Neuromancer as was Wintermute, right? And and so do you think that's kind of just the, the shape of things to come? The, the kind of hint that they're kind of merging is just a kind of culminating point of, of, of the process of the book. I don't think that, because while the, the merging at the end is, is seen as this big thing, I don't actually think it's necessary to the book. Right? I mean, does, 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 is the book fundamentally changed by a mission failure? No, no. If 3Jane hadn't given them the password. The, the book remains roughly the same, this message remains roughly the same. So I think that while it's the plot resolution, I think it's absolutely possible to put too much emphasis on 
the importance of the actual act of the merging of winter matter. It's, yeah, it's it's the it's the actions. Uh, it's the importance of the novel is the actions of the characters and how they deal with it the way through. Like it's how how Wintermute drives the plot. How uh, Case goes against his models a couple of times because Wintermute just say he doesn't like dealing with people. You he, you go against all of these nice spreadsheets he made for you. Um, um, I think so, that puts it in a really interesting tension with. I mean, yeah. you, you just said. I mean, it's about the actions of characters and how they deal with it. I mean, it's not necessarily about how they deal with it, is it? Uh, it's just their actions. Yeah. Um, you don't. You could. The, the context of their actions aren't isn't really that important in some in some uh, areas. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the point of neuromancer manipulating people, he he's always a lot. He's a. It's always a lot. He goes for small things. He doesn't really push, really push people in any particular direction. He just kind of dips in, goes whoop, and moves out again. He do, he doesn't really. Uh, he's not a really great a great force for change. He's merely facilitating it. If that makes sense, he's making. He's he's allowing. He's a, he's giving the potential for change, but he's not really just giving anyone a push. Whereas Wintermute is shoving people along. Which is kind of where, why they when they merge, it's a potentially potentially great thing, even if we don't really see what happens apart from the centroid there. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, just to just to kind of finish up because we're uh, running a bit low on time, although there's plenty to be going on. <laughs> so the big question for for everyone, Andre, you can start. Is it worth reading Neuromancer today? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it is absolutely worth it, uh, reading Neuromancer nowadays. I mean, always keeping a very... Well, being quite aware of the time in which it was written and it, the type of things that it is addressing. But especially now uh, with with reading it, it, it again and reflecting on it from a... Well, kind of informed uh, by, by certain more philosophical perspectives and so on. I think it is... I think it is very worth reading it today, and it's actually quite an informative book. And it is a, it actually speaks a lot to our present times in a very significant sense. Not only in in terms of the technology, because nowadays reading reading the book, some of the ideas for the technology might might seem a bit out of date and very eighties, as as Matt was saying. Um, but the general feeling of the book and the general general themes of the book, I think they're as present as ever, if not more, actually. Uh, than what it was during the 90s, for example. So, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is a, a very worthwhile book to read presently. Yeah. Matt? Uh, yeah, it is. A very, it's, for one thing, it's a, it's, a, it's a very compelling novel. It's um, the, the themes, the, theme, the, the central themes, they, they carry over. It's like we were saying earlier, it doesn't, it doesn't date. Apart, the only thing that dates it slightly is the 80s aesthetic, and even then you can take that as historical context in, as to when it was written, which is what you should really do from this point when you think about it. But um, yeah, it is honestly well worth a read. It'll raise some interesting questions. It'll uh, present some incredibly evo- evocative imagery, and it'll give you some some good kicks. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Neuromancer is absolutely worth worth reading, not least because its influence on what cyberspace and technology actually became is very real. And it's not just terminology like surfing, which gives some coins, but 
you could argue that in the same way that Dragon of the Sea influenced submarine design, that Neuromancer, in a very real way, influenced the way that technology design went, as well as hugely influencing sci-fi as we went forward from Death's X and System Shock to The Matrix. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not so sure about the, the the connection, right? I mean, it's a connection that can never be proved, but I mean, um, there, there's an afterword in my copy of it where... Um, someone makes the argument that this is quite often an argument that's made with regard to NASA, right? Science fiction and NASA. And that is, you know, people pick up a book and then they think, oh, that's really cool. And then they go and do it. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see if, if, if we were to have a book like that now, whether, whether someone would pick it up. And because I, I think these people who think, oh, it's really cool and then do it also think, oh, it's really cool. And then they try to do it better. Um, and, and so you get this kind of optimism yeah. in, in, in technology well, that, that Neuromancer is actively warning us against. Yeah. And I, 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 I think that that's a, a really important question. I mean, you know, when we, when we talk about the, um, talk about, you know, the, what science, science fiction is for, then, you know, we, we have to deal in those, in those categories of, of, of optimism and pessimism. Anyway, we're going to uh, we're going to finish up there. Um, it's uh, getting dark; the night's closing in. Uh, the the reckoning, our reckoning is upon us. Yeah, the sea beams are glittering in the darkness over just, the Tannhauser Gate. Just uh, quickly talk about all of the co- all of the covers for Neuromancer are awful. They are all so bad. Like <laughs> the, the one I bought is just it's just a picture of a guy in, spe- in specs with just like circuit boards everywhere. It hurts. Oh, it, it hurts me. Well, of course, the classic one now, the reissue, is is Molly's face. Which yeah, she's read, white. Read Neuromancer. It's got a weird title, and there's a sexy lady. Look, look <laughs> she's got <laughs> silvers where she got eyes are. Anyway, all right. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And uh, next time it'll be uh, Ursula Le Guin's uh, The Dispossessed. Um, yeah. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. <laughs>